This is Matt Osborne. This is Pat King. My name is Martin Armstrong. This is Alex Craner. This is Franco Terrazano, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Friday. Okay, we got a double header for you today. Uh, Sean went a little crazy yesterday and did um, four podcasts in one day. I, yeah, I, 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 what more can I say? I don't know what the heck I was thinking, um, other than that that's a first. I've done three before. Four is a new, uh, a new record, I guess, and uh, two of them went two-plus hours. So, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? You, you know, it's it's like, um, I guess I love my job. I guess that, that can be said. Either way, um, I, I had uh, these two individuals on uh, combined. They're, you know, slightly over an hour kind of thing. So, I was like, you know what? And it's quite, uh, you know, I want the information to get out as soon as possible. So, I thought, oh, I'm just going to stick them together. And that way, you guys can hop on, have a, you know, um, a little bit of a, a twofer. You know, you get the point. Anyways, not a big deal. It's been fun on this side, and certainly being back in the captain's chair in the studio, it's been like, all right, gas pedal, let's go, full bore, steam ahead. I don't know. That sentence just doesn't make any sense, but you get the point. Now, I want to remind everybody, Patreon. So Chris Sims is on today's episode. She also did a bonus uh, clip for Patreon. So if you want to, you know... um, hear a little bit about uh, her thoughts on C18, C11, uh, just media, um, you know, and just, you know, kind of a little more off the cusp, uh, off the cusp thoughts. It's a, it's a little relaxed and, uh, me and Chris have a, a nice little chat on Patreon as well. So if you're interested in, in, uh, a little bonus, head over to Patreon, just go down in the show notes. Love to have you a part of that team. You help support the podcast and get a little exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else, but on Patreon. Okay. George over at Old World Flooring, you may recall him from episode 465. They are the grow, uh, the go-to crew for tile in the Calgary and surrounding area. Whether we're talking, you know, a new kitchen backsplash or a handicap accessible shower, they do commercial, residential, new builds, renovations. They do it all. And they want to make sure that by the end of the project, you get your money's worth and you will realize your dreams. I feel like if you've seen European workmanship, You know what the heck I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, when you walk in and see the attention to detail that old world flooring is all about, I'm telling you, it's something that just kind of sticks in your brain. Like, it's kind of like, I tell you what, someday, someday, well, if you're in the Calgary and surrounding area, that someday could be today. Anyways, just saying, attention to detail. That's what old world flooring is all about. They don't cut corners. Go to www.owf.ltd to find out more. Ignite Distribution out of Wainwright, Alberta. That is Shane Stafford and crew. Uh, They can supply industrial safety welding and automotive parts. They do on-site inventory management. And if you want to make sure you never run out of whatever it is you have that makes you run, Shane Stafford's probably your guy. He's going to make sure that uh, it's a smooth operation. I almost said smooth criminal. You know, I was thinking Michael Jackson for a second. You know, I got the anyway, the song, not the dude. Anyway, ah, can't even get it out here, folks. Shane Stafford, give him a call, 780-842-3433. He'll make sure that uh, business doesn't stop when you run out of, you know, parts, things that make it tick along. Rectech Power Products, they've been uh, committed to excellence in the power sports industry for 20 plus years. They offer a full lineup. All you got to do is stop in on the west side of Lloyd Minster. That's what I really suggest because you walk around their showroom. They got a beautiful showroom. They got a ton of stuff. And uh, 
If you're so inclined, you might see this thing that I've been talking about all summer long. It's a, a Sea-Doo pontoon boat. And if Alan and Ryan are listening, I'm just saying, I'd like to take that sucker out on the lake and really see what it's made of. Just saying, just saying. Got parts department um, that uh, is open. Well, the entire place is open Monday through Saturday with a parts department that can hook you up with any upgrades, uh, odds and ends, maintenance. You get the point. All you got to do is go to rectechpowerproducts.com. You can find out everything they got and uh, see what all what see what they're all about. McGowan Professional Chartered Accountant. That's Kristen and team. They're uh, sure. I'm. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if they're pulling their hair out with me. You know, it's like Sean. Uh, we need this and we need this and we need this. And then Sean goes, "Yep, sure." And then a day or two goes by and they go, "Sean, we need this and we need this and we need this." And I go, "All right." And then I get on it and you know and, and back and forth and. Yeah, they do it with always a smile. You know, I'm waiting for the day I walk in and it look like a train has hit them. And I'm sure Kristen and the team will say, oh, there has been a day or two. But in my world, they never have had a day yet. It's been pretty cool to um, be a part of uh, their group and have them looking out for the podcast. They offer accounting, bookkeeping, business consulting, training, financial planning, and tax planning. I'm just saying, if that is anything you're looking for, you can't find a better team, go to McGowanCPA.com. CA. Now, let's get on to that. Tail of the Tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. The first is Alberta Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. The second, an independent journalist who is running as an independent candidate for MP in Alberta in the riding of Yellowhead. I'm talking about Chris Sims and Jason Levine. So buckle up, here we go. Welcome to the Sean Numa Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Sims. Chris, welcome uh, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back on, Sean. You know, um, I was just saying to you, I put out, a, I put out a, a question across like all social media. I put it out on Patreon and I was asking people like, you know, like in the middle of COVID or I hit a, a certain point where people are like, you know, you could probably start having people come back on because you've had such a, a great guest selection. I've been very fortunate that way. And so I was like, all right. Well, back then I was like, there's too many voices. I need to keep talking to a bunch of them. Still need to. But back then I was doing two podcasts a week. So if you start having reoccurring guests, you can imagine now you're not really talking to anybody new. And uh, now, you know, I go anywhere between four or five a week and I'm like, oh, there's there's probably some room where I could have somebody come back on. Anyways, your name came up. So uh, kudos to uh, uh, y- what you do and the Taxpayer Federation and everything else on some of the information they're breaking because obviously people are paying attention and like what uh, you guys have to say and, and how you're breaking it down. So my hat's off to you, a feather in the cap uh, from this side at least. That that means a lot, uh, not just for me, but for the whole of CTF because we've been around since 1990, like before the internet was a thing. There's a million things I love about the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, but what I like most about it is how grassroots it is and how team-oriented it is. So our encouragement is always to get off the bench, get into the arena, uh, get involved with your local politics, and you can actually make some serious change happen. So the fact they want to hear more about that uh, gives me some hope. Well, let's talk about some things. You know, the the reason I reached out is because I've been, you know, I got... every. I get, 
tons of things sent to me, and then I'll be like, I have no idea what that is. And it's this home equity tax, or I don't, I don't even know if it's a tax yet. I don't, I don't know anything about it, Chris. But I know they're flirting with this idea, and I'm like, okay, well, that isn't good because anytime this government touches anything, you know, it just turns to absolute ash. <laughs> um, this idea, first, can you, you break down the idea, and then what it would mean to people, and then probably what can we do about it? Yeah, and you're right on that. They have the reverse Midas touch. This government just, <laughs> That's right. just turns to garbage. So I was like, a- what, what, in my mind, I'm like, what's for the reverse of Midas? I was thinking, I'm like, is it like what's the opposite of gold? Anyway, yeah, lead? It, is it lead? Anyway, probably so. lead. That's a nicer way of putting it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure twos would have a different word for it. <laughs> so, a few years ago, uh, of, we, we've had this housing crisis now for a long time, and now it's getting real, real, real. So it is trickling down to smaller cities and smaller towns. Uh, we're hearing about tradespeople and nurses, you know, living in vans. It's just awful. So back up a couple of years, uh, the Trudeau government was funding research through the University of British Columbia into how to capture the wealth from people's homes that they already own. So especially in places like Vancouver, the thinking goes something like this. Well, a lot of you older folks, especially the boomer sets, have been living in your houses since the 1980s. That's a lot of wealth that you're sitting on that then will be sold. We want a piece of that pie. And by we, it of course always means government. So right now, if you live and own in your one house, your home, when you sell that, you don't pay income tax on the profit from it. That has been the case in Canada since the 1970s okay this has been a way of saving for the future for canadians for more than a generation okay what the researchers out of ubc this group called generation squeeze are trying to say is hey uh you don't deserve any of that wealth uh you've accumulated it through uh what is it sitting on the couch while watching tv and sleeping That was the actual words they used. So we, the government, should be able to take a piece of that pie. Now, we say the Trudeau government is funding it because they were. They were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars through CMHC, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Their one job was to keep housing affordable. Good job, guys. Um, Spectacular fail. Um, They also gave themselves bonuses and pay raises, by the way, every year even though they're spectacularly failing. So CMHC is funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars to this group out of UBC, who then in turn is promoting uh, what we're calling a home equity tax. So they want to tax you if you sell the one house you own and live in when you sell it, your income tax. So the crazy thing is, Sean, is that they think that by creating a tax, it will make housing less expensive. It's like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, okay? So number one, uh, if you're older and you sell that nest egg, that's your money. Like that is your money. The government has no claim to that, okay? You are not a serf. You do not need to pay a tithe to the landlord. Um, So that would be money out of your pocket, okay? Number one. Number two, what what usually happens if the price of your thing goes up because of government decree? You're just going to tack that tax cost onto the listing price. Duh. 
So now the younger people who are scrambling up the real estate ladder, desperately trying to buy a house, are going to see an inflated price, listing price, because the seller is going to have to pay that home equity tax. Now, as soon as we mention this, okay, out loud, the Liberal government, the Trudeau government freaks out. They'll say, oh, no, no, this is misinformation. Uh, this is not true. Well, it is true. We caught them spending money researching this. And now, lo and behold, uh, the scuttlebutt is, is that these same researchers out of UBC, Sean, were at that liberal uh, retreat on Prince in, Edward Island. In Prince Edward Island, yeah. Funny how that works, right? And so this is where we're sounding the alarm saying no. Okay, people already, you're spending more on taxes typically with a typical family than you are on food and shelter and housing. Okay, it's, it's really bad. Um, the idea of hitting people with another tax is just nuts. And so here it is, the same people who were promoting this home equity tax are meeting with our cabinet ministers. Is it just, uh, is it just under the Trudeau-led government that they just think that if I just raise taxes a little bit more, we'll get out of whatever we're in? Is, that, is it just their mentality or has this been a mentality forever with governments? Because I can't figure out that we're going to find a new tax because that's going to work and we're just going to get out of everything. But they just seem to try and find a new one every single day. I mean, it was the last time I had you on where we were getting a second carbon tax, so that's yep. come in. Um, you know, uh, the planet's saved now, and we're all we're all safe and sound, and it's all good. Um, just wondering, like, it, you know, in your eyes, where you're sitting, the Taxpayer Federation, Canadian Taxpayer Fe mm -hmm. uh, Federation, you know, do you see different things coming down the pipe from different uh, – parties or is this like no the, like the home equity tax is it, eventually it's going to get rammed through or is there things to be done i don't know that's a there's a whole bunch of questions in there i guess yeah so to break it down first um this isn't a a problem of like party label or jersey color this is a problem of ideology and ways of thinking okay so bad ideology like we'll just tax it more and it will get us out of this situation or we will print hundreds of billions of dollars and magically money will be around more and things will get less expensive. Those are wrong. Okay. That's wrong thinking. It isn't going to work. It makes people's taxes go higher. It makes inflation, you know, get worse. All of those things are wrong thinking. That kind of dumb idea can infect any political party. It can and so every political party is at risk of taking on that kind of dumb idea. Uh, right now, it happens to be embodied within the Trudeau government. Okay, They've got this ridiculous idea that if they just keep taxing stuff more and keep expanding government, that things will get better. Or if they keep printing money, that people will have more money. But as Franco explained on your show a few weeks back, it doesn't work that way. It just makes everything cost more. Yeah. The price of everything goes up along with the amount of money supply you have in the system. And so um, different parties can be uh, can fall to that sort of ideology. We always keep to the basics of lower taxes, less waste and accountable government. OK, so to give you an example, uh, Finance Minister Paul Martin was part of a liberal government. He slayed the deficit. Okay, he stopped, he balanced the budget. He stopped deficit spending. We gave him a tax fighter award. <laughs> we didn't care that he had a red jersey on at the time. 
So there can be good policies within each party. It just depends on who is dominant at the time and who's in government. So as of right now, uh, the the Trudeau government is definitely thinking about this. Like, obviously, they have the guy who thought at their retreat with all the new. Yes. And they're literally paying for it with our money. Like they were funding the research. Okay. We, we caught them doing it. Both the Taxpayers Federation and Black Locks Reporter. We have the documents. Okay. Um, so far, they're saying nothing to see here, folks. Uh, we're not going to do any of this. Uh, we don't believe them because the government will often tell you something that you want. They think well, you I think a, a lot of us would understand your train of thinking, uh, Chris, because we've been living it. So, uh, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, so far, I can't recall off the top of my head what the NDP has said federally about a home equity tax. I know right now the Conservative Party has said no way, like we're not doing that. And so that's currently what we're facing right now. So like you said, on top of the upping original carbon tax, on top of the second carbon tax, on top of inflation, interest rates, all this nonsense, uh, they're playing footsie pretty hard with the idea of a home equity tax. I just feel like all I do is give tax money right now, and I'm like, I, "What?" And you'd be earth, right, man. What? What? What are we? What are we getting for all this? Like, I just. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the question, right? Like, you know, are you getting better value for dollar in your healthcare system, in your education system? Are you getting your passport done lickety split? Like, are you super impressed by how efficient everything is? No, um, because that isn't what you, that isn't what happens when you grow with the size of government. You just make it bigger more expensive and the torpor sets in much deeper. Yeah, I was getting well I, healthcare, I mean you don't have to uh you know I just try and book an appointment. <laughs> I mean like you're just like you want me to wait how long now? But I'm I'm sick right now. Yes. You know, like anyways. <laughs> Can uh, I, I mean, bank this sick for later when you're available? That's yeah. right. <laughs> um Gas prices. Yeah. I was just, you know, I was just in Kelowna and uh, everybody knows BC has high gas prices. I don't think that's a shock to anyone. But it was a dollar eighty nine, and I was like, "Oh man," you know, like. But then I came home and it was a dollar forty nine. Yep. In Lloyd, and I'm like, and that's with the Alberta government not charging their provincial tax on that. So yep. that's thirteen cents, if my math is correct. So we should be a dollar sixty two right now in Lloydminster, in the middle of oil and gas country. Make that make sense to me, because that doesn't make any sense. Right. So it all so the price of oil, like you know very well, better even than I do uh, in many cases, uh, that goes up and down. It's a world market. Uh, they also have to pay for delivery and all of that stuff, refinement. And so that goes up and down. What we can tackle is the tax side of things like that is immediately at our disposal because we can twist the arms of politicians and make them drop those taxes. And so, like you pointed out, it's around a 40 cent difference. When you cross that magical barrier of the Rocky Mountains, it's around, you know, between a 35 and 40 cent difference. The difference there is almost always taxes because number one, we've got a 13 cent discount. Number two, their excise tax over there on the other side, I think it's around 14 cents per liter that they have. And they have a second carbon tax. It's a form of government fuel regulation and it's hidden in the price. Their second carbon tax over there, Sean, is 17 cents. So you do the quick math, you add 15 plus 17, like you're clocking in close to 40. So that's the difference. And so what blows my mind and what I keep as a 
born British Columbian who is very thankful to now be in Alberta, I keep trying to warn everybody that you see that that price you saw in Kelowna around buck eighty something, and if you go to Vancouver, it's over two bucks right now. Like I think it's two oh six. Last somebody just sent me a picture of it this morning. Um, Prime Minister Trudeau goes to Vancouver, goes for a meeting, looks out of his limo window, sees the price of gas in Vancouver, and says, "Huh, that's awesome." I'm going to make that happen across Canada. Watch this. And he's doing it. They just hit us with a second carbon tax on July 1st. We don't know how much it's costing us here in Alberta right out of the chutes yet. We'll know in a few weeks once the, the prices uh, wobble out. But in Atlantic Canada, they have uh, government regulated prices. So it's easier to see and chart. It's between three and eight cents more. Already like, per liter. Off as of July 1. As of July 1. That's right. And it goes up and down, right? It's not a fixed tax. The second carbon tax, it goes up and down because it's based on an international carbon credit trading scheme. They have to use prices and all this. It's really complicated. So what it is, is it's a massive punishment for whatever producer of fuel is there. The government will say, reduce your carbon in your product. However, that works. Then said product can't be carbon reduced for whatever reason. And that price is passed on down to you and me holding the gas pump. And so that's why when you go across to BC, their prices are so crazy because they have this second hidden carbon tax. That's coming. That's coming across Canada. By 2030, it's going to be that high. It's going to be higher than that, is it not? No, I think so. <laughs> but that's the conservative estimate is it's going to be that high. It's going to be like, it's going to be $2 a liter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of taxes. This is it. If you combine, this is crazy and I'm trying not to get depressed. Really, I'm listening. You know, don't get depressed, people. But if you combine the two carbon taxes, so Trudeau's first carbon tax that he's got right now, plus a second one, within the next seven years, it's going to be 55 cents a liter extra. So this is where we're saying, folks, like, you can't afford this stuff. We've got record high demand for food banks. Like, something's got to give. And so I find it really interesting, Sean. Did you see that the NDP opposition in Manitoba is saying, hey, we need to do what Danielle did and we need to suspend our fuel tax provincially, 15 cents. That's really interesting because the NDP every now and then comes back around to its working man roots and says, why are you taxing people's daylights out of them just for driving to work and heating their home? That's what former BC Premier John Horgan used to say when he was in opposition. He railed against the carbon tax couldn't stand it. Called it lipstick on a pig, his party did. And then he became premier and just went hog wild on the carbon tax. So it's interesting to see, I think it was Wab Canoe was the leader, it was the leader of the NDP in Manitoba saying out loud, we need to suspend the fuel tax, which is exactly what Daniel Smith has done here in Alberta, but a completely different party. So this is interesting because one, don't tell anybody, but technically... <laughs> In the regulations federally, premiers aren't allowed to compensate for the cost of the federal mandatory minimum carbon tax. They're actually not, it's right there in the regulations. They're not allowed to be reducing their taxes to compensate for Trudeau's tax. It says right there. Well, don't so, put that out in the universe, Chris. Hey, you know, you know, it seems like Premier Smith is pretty comfortable fighting with Prime Fair Minister Trudeau. I know Fair she's enough. she's she can fight like a girl and it's pretty good to see. So, 
now the NDP in Manitoba is saying we need to suspend it. That's really interesting. So maybe there's hope at the federal level, because it's the same party. The NDP is the same party. The federal level, be interesting to see if leader Jagmeet Singh says the same thing. You know what? We realize now people can't afford this and we need to speak up against the carbon tax. It'll be interesting to watch, you know, like uh, as times get tougher, you know, and things are continually cost more and more and more and more and people start to feel the pinch more and more and more. And I mean, I don't think I need to tell you, like in the last week on on Twitter alone, the amount of videos that have went oh. viral with people like crying, saying they can't afford to live in Canada has been, you know, it's pretty, it's, honestly, it's pretty tough to watch, right? It's like, this, this is, you know, and the fact that our government just keeps on like flirting with more taxes to make life more unaffordable. You're like, uh, morons, yeah. listen to what the people are saying. And yet it, it doesn't, do that you know they they keep on well i don't know yeah I, I have such a hard time with the liberal party right now as it sits as our federal government because i mean like i assume and i, I don't know this i assume they have the power to just knock off the carbon tax tomorrow yep, am i wrong could, on that tomorrow no no you're right they could recall they could eat, i don't know if they could do it as an order in council they could i think they could but at the very least they could recall parliament and have it gone by monday and the thing is, is like it would have a slow trickle down effect to the opposite way, right? Obviously, gas prices, maybe I'm wrong on this, maybe you'll, you'll disagree. Um, but it, the, the first thing that would probably happen is, oh, wait, the pumps go down. And then, yeah, they would. And then all of a sudden, you maybe start to see that trickle out into business because business, oh, wait, we aren't paying $8 a liter. Being a little facetious here, folks. Mm -hmm. But then your food prices and everything would just slowly start to come down a little bit. Now, is it going to be like all of a sudden everything's dirt cheap? No. But at the same time, when they're charging, uh, I don't know, what is it right now? Um, I, I was reading, I pulled up your emails. Federal taxes, it shows that it's 31 cents per liter. Am I wrong on that? That's correct. Here in Alberta, we paired the bare bones minimum federal taxes, and it's 31 cents a liter. In Vancouver, it's 77 cents a liter. Tax. So ima imagine being out in BC and all of a sudden 70 cents a liter goes off your gas. Right. Now, what? that would be all of them. That would be all of them. So if you're in BC, say you got rid of both carbon taxes, it's 14 plus 17. So you're, you're over 30 cents there. Gone. Gone. That's a ton of cash that you're saving every single time you're filling up. Well, and I just think our our economy run like, you know, you were joking. You, we were joking because before we started, folks, uh, Chris said, oh, I'm glad you got home. And I'm like, yeah, well, it wasn't like I was dire need. But at the same time, I'm kind of stuck. So I ended up instead of having my flights because of, you know, cancellations. And then they were saying I no showed. And I'm like, I was literally like the airspace was closed. I'm just like, I don't I don't want to get in this argument. I got in a vehicle and ended up driving from Kelowna to Lloydminster. And she joked, well, you're Western Canadian. I mean, we drive, right? That's what we do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, so you can under, I think Western Canadians can understand that if all of a sudden, the, the gas price was dropped, the trickle-down effect would be things, goods and services would get cheaper because it would be right there in front of everybody that, oh, wait, we don't have to ha add in the extra this to this to this to this because they're not getting absolutely flogged by taxes. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just do the quick math. So say it's 14 cents gone uh, per liter, like overnight. So just the first carbon tax. Uh, you're saving around 15 bucks every time you're filling up a light duty pickup truck. You're saving around $10 every time you're filling up a minivan. This is when things get cute. 
So a trucker filling up his two diesel tanks is saving around 140 bucks every time he's filling up. Now we're talking, okay? Because there's the trickle down. There's the, you know, the delivery time. And then we're, sorry, but we are late August. People are going to be thinking about what they're going to heat their homes with for the winter. Guess what? There's carbon tax on natural gas, propane, and heating oil. So if that were all gone, you'd be saving big money. Here in Alberta, here in Alberta, the average Alberta family is out more than $700 per year. That's net. That's with the rebates factored in. So it's a massive financial punishment. And that's from the parliamentary budget officer. So imagine having that expense just knocked off like Monday. Yeah, that would improve a lot of things. What they also need to stop doing is they need to quit their flipping deficit spending and quit printing money because that is what has really stoked this inflation fire and it's caused so many things to be so out of reach, including groceries. So if they did those two things and smartened up, we'd be much better off. Yeah, they don't seem to want to learn those lessons either, do they? Well, see, this is where, and again, it's not a, even a party thing. When you get into government and you're in government that long, you're living in a weird financial terrarium, okay? So if, say you're a member of parliament, your transportation's paid for, your housing is paid for, your food is paid for, you're making, I think, $189,000 a year. So imagine those expenses being mostly gone. You might have some back home or with your family or whatever, fair enough. But those major expenses of food, travel, and housing are gone for you. You're getting paid pretty good buck and you're living in this little um, chrysalis of media and government and power right in downtown Ottawa. You saw it when you were down there, you know, with the convoy. It's this own, and I've lived there on a bike, on my on feet for 13 years. I know what it's like to live there. It becomes this little habitat. They call it the Ottawa bubble. And it's easy to get stuck in that bubble. And you, then you don't know how much canned tuna is costing people out in Arn Prior. You don't because you're not spending the money on it. You're not doing Not only shopping. are you not spending the money on it, but that's not what they're feeding you. You're that's being... correct. That's correct. If I'd you're like the governor general, a... you're having beef. You're having beef. I was going to say, if you're the governor general, she's like, can tuna. Who eats that? It's like quite this a few people, actually. Quite a few people. And that's gone up in price. You're right. So, so has hot dogs. So has regular meat. Uh, so has bread. So has all of these major staples, chicken, pork, like all of these major staples, peanut butter has gone right up. Like this all really matters to people, right? And the carbon tax, I got to say also, we've almost got it gone. Almost. We're waiting for royal assent in the Senate on this. The carbon tax also applies to farmers in the sense that they have to pay it to dry their grain and heat their barns. Well, who uses grain? Everybody. Everything. Right? Because livestock eat grain, uh, people eat grain through bread, all that stuff. And it causes all of those prices to go up. And so this is where we're saying if they did these two things, Sean, if they scrapped the carbon taxes and quit their deficit spending, we, we would definitely be on a road to recovery right now and people wouldn't be hurting so much. And I got to say, like here in Alberta, it is better. Like for affordability, it is better. But I still get phone calls from people who are working and for the first time, they have to go use a food bank. Like, to really spell that out, that means if they're a working parent, they're holding down a job, but they still need donated peanut butter to feed their kid. 
Like, that's not okay. And the reason for that largely is, again, because of inflation, this terrible spending habit by the government, and these high taxes. Well, Chris, for the uh, for the listener, where can they find you? Where can they find the Canadian Taxpayers Federation? Uh, and if you have anything coming up, uh, please share that as well. That'd be great. Uh, so we just finished doing a little tour of Alberta. We uh, spoke with folks in Edmonton and Red Deer and Drumheller. Uh, we pointed out that gas taxes are monstrous and they should be, they should go extinct. Um, and so I just wanted to, I know that a lot of people listen to podcasts in their own way, right? They can listen to them in, in spaces and in chunks, maybe when they're driving, could be if they got their kids to bed, they're walking the dog and they're really thinking about this stuff. Um, number one, I want to tell them that they're not alone. Okay, what we talk about can be pretty grim sometimes, but you're not alone. Okay, if you're worried about making ends meet and stuff, there's thousands, tens of thousands of Canadians who feel just like you do. Okay, uh, I would encourage them and not just to, you know, get people going to our website, but just for the fellowship of it, for the sense of belonging and being part of the change for good. Um, you can go to our website, taxpayer.com for free, sign the petitions that you care about. So if you want to scrap the gun ban, if you want to defund the CBC, if you support free speech and you oppose C-11, like there's all sorts of stuff. If you don't want the PST on used items in BC <laughs> when you go to your thrift shop, um, we have petitions for all of that. And when you do that, you sign up for our emails on that topic, and then you can be part of the taxpayer army. And the next time that some minister wastes your money or is going to do something dumb, you can get together with all your friends on the tax taxpayer army and just mass email them and you're, you make, uh, make changes. You're, you're speaking to one of my fears right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to let it have its voice here for a second. Okay. I don't sign up for any petition right now through all of COVID. Cause I'm like deep down, I'm like, I really don't want to have my name associated with anything. Cause I don't know who I can trust or not, which is funny because I do a podcast and I talk <laughs> to all these different people and everything else. I was gonna say, and you know believe me, you, right, Sean? that's right. That's right. <laughs> so to the person who's skeptical of signing up for a petition, um, is there anything you would say to be like, yeah, don't worry about it? Like, or, or I'm assuming you've dealt with people that are like me, are like, ah, do I gotta sign a petition? I do might petitions, even be a person like you, Sean. Do, do <laughs> petitions even work? You know. So yes, they do work in the sense that okay. So number one, I'm not discounting that fear. Okay, I understand. We've seen a lot of crazy pants stuff that's happened the last few years. We get it. Number two, we've been around for a long time, like since 1990. We're grassroots, nonpartisan. We know how to fight this stuff. Number three, you don't need to give us like your exact home address and your blood type. <laughs> like just use an email address you're comfortable sharing with us. And then at least you keep up on the news. I and will then, give I will give this plug for you guys because I yeah. give it every time you come out. I do have your emails, and uh, they're they're fantastic. They're nice, short, and they're not blowing up my inbox. Uh, in, uh, my inbox every single day which yeah. i really appreciate because you've i know we've all signed up for something where it's like every day maybe even multiple times a day i'm like why like I I, just why are you doing that and i know somewhere there's a level of marketing that says you have to do that and i'm like i just i don't want that anyways yeah we don't do on. that and it's very topic specific again like it doesn't you don't need to be into all of our stuff there's probably something there for everybody um and again you don't need to you, if you can't or don't want to, that's fair enough. You don't need to make a donation. You can just sign up to the email for free and then you just stay in the mix and it can be a Daffy Duck email. Like we don't care. That's fine. 
Well, I appreciate you hopping on, uh, Chris, and and doing this. I know um, uh, I really appreciate uh, while you, your insights because you you have a way of getting down to it real fast and like making it come across to me who I I assume I'm real dense at times, um, but you you really um, oh yeah all right okay so I appreciate you you hopping on and doing this and uh, and uh, I don't know just uh being a part of the show and, and, and I don't know, having some fun with it. Cause it's a pretty dark topic, you know, uh, uh, that's going to have real world implications here as we move into, you know, uh, the fall and into winter and, and certainly all the power, all the heating bills are going to be going through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I think I can speak for all Albertans at this point. If you've been paying attention to that bill for the last five, six years, it hasn't gone down and it ain't going down this year. So, um, I just appreciate your insights and, and uh, you know, bringing us all along for a ride. Just a reminder, folks, politicians work for you, not the other way around. Get off the bench, get in the arena, tell 10 friends how you feel and push back on these people. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you doing this. And uh, we will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Sean. Hey folks, thanks for listening to the first portion. As promised, a double header today. So we're going to slide into my interview with Jason Levine. And I hope you will, uh, you know, let me know what you think of both Chris and now Jason. Either way, enjoy. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jason Levine. So sir, thanks for hopping on. Thank you very much for having me, Sean. It's very excited to be here. Um, normally I would, you know, I wouldn't be worried about time. We were just talking about time and how much, uh, we, we have today. And, uh, certainly I don't want to rush anything. So I, I really want to yeah. start with who Jason is. I want to get a feel first time you've been on the podcast. I want to give uh, listeners a taste of, uh, just, you know, your backstory, how you get to where you're at, where you're, you know, citizen journalist and, and following a, a bunch of different things. And we'd just love to, uh, hear a bit of your story before we, we, uh, jump any further. Thank you for the opportunity, Sean. Yeah, so I'm originally I'm a nerd. Let's start right there. I'm a nerd. I'm a tech guy for the good forty years. The first forty years of my life, that's what I was doing: um, writing code, building companies that wrote code, and then later worked in companies that created technology. Um, for example, Ticket Break was one of the ones that I was really passionate about and worked a lot in. I became the CTO there, and we were taking on Ticketmaster. So I'm an underdog, t- entrepreneurial type guy. I like to get into the trenches and work hard to do things that I think are right. For example, in Ticket Break days, it was to lower the fees for ticketing, make it more accessible, make it digital in some ways. So we worked on that project for quite some time, sold that off, and then I decided to get into more education. Uh, went to law school at that point. Uh, my late 30s is when I started that one. And then I finished and wrote my exam in Ontario for a paralegal license, which is, if you're not from Ontario, you don't really understand, but it's it's a mini lawyer. It really is. It's a licensed regulated position in Ontario. And I passed that exam on my 40th birthday. And then we moved to uh, Alberta. So I was in Ontario for several years, moved to Alberta with my family to get a little bit more land because we're the homesteading type. We like to work the land and we didn't have much out there. Now we do. We have a lot more land to work with. And when the convoy thing happened in 2022, uh, like most Canadians, I was pretty focused on my future and and building up my world. Um, But that's when you know, civil duty kind of kicked in because I didn't like the idea of what was happening with Trudeau. And I'm sure you might recall his press conference on the 22nd of February when he revoked the emergency order. 
he stood there and told us that uh, it was a decision he, he felt he had to make. He, he believes he did the right decision. And if we disagreed with that, we should uh, gain support, register the candidate and run against him. I believe that as a very, very wise decision uh, to, to let Canada know how democracy truly works, um, which is to go ahead and do exactly that. So, you know, that was really the beginning of my coming out of a shell as a introvert nerd to become an extrovert political figure to try and do exactly that, which is to gain support, build up a base and go ahead and run against him in the next federal election, which is currently scheduled for 2025. Um, so that's really my journey there on where I went from nerd, introvert nerd, who just really liked to do the ones and zeros and build up technology to step in front of a camera and really becoming a public option for my neighbors for the next election. That led to the podcast life, which is uh, one of the avenues uh, that I, I decided to choose to go ahead and get my name out there to become more public. Uh, and I was a big fan of LawTube. So back in the day when Viva Fry and some others were doing LawTube, um, I kind of grabbed that idea with my paralegal background, technical background. Um, I'm also a pilot and I also do project management stuff. So, you know, wrapping all these skills together, I thought a LawTube type of show would, would be a benefit to my neighbors and to get my name out there. So I covered the uh, Public Order Emergency Commission which was last year, the Rouleau Commission, some people know it as that, the Emergency Act Commission, some people call it that, but it was really the inquiry into the use of the public emergency or the Emergencies Act. And from there, I just built up a podcast show. This year, I turned it into an interview show where I had people like Tom Marazzo on, uh, Maxime Bernier, uh, Randy Hilliard, uh, Peter McCullough. We've had some pretty, pretty decent guests come on to uh, explain to us the truth. Uh, we, we are definitely <laughs> looking for the truth out here. And so much so that I've now kicked off permanently uh, from YouTube. Uh, they deleted my channel just two days ago. So I'm definitely a lot bigger now on Facebook and Rumble and Twitter or X. And uh, you can certainly find me on all those platforms. But uh, what I'm gonna be here today is to get into the Kootzman situation here in Alberta. Um, about two months ago or so, before we get to Coots, just just before we get to Coots, um, just so I under, um, just so I heard that correct. So, is your plan to run in the next federal election then? Correct. So, I'm an independent candidate for the next federal election. And what's running. your what's your area? Uh, Yellowhead, so west of Edmonton, so the federal riding of Yellowhead, which is west of Edmonton. It takes uh, Drayton Valley, Jasper, uh, Edson, all the way down to Rocky Mountain House. That that large chunk of. Uh, Beautiful Alberta land uh, is Yellowhead, and I'm running for that. Interesting. I I um I appreciate your uh, I don't know your forethought, right? Like I'm gonna run. I listened to mm -hmm. what he said. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Okay, I'm gonna run for once. I and, agree with the prime minister. And instead of being like, well, I'll just run eventually, you know, or I'll run that year or I'll, a year out, you're doing things actively. Not only for your 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 benefit, uh, certainly you're you're trying to uh, do. I think what a lot of us are have some conversations now. You're talking about all these different people coming on to try and you know distill some of the things that are going on, get to some of the truth that you exactly. see happening, etc., and build a base so people know who the heck Jason Levine is. Because if they show up on um, nomination night, if your name isn't beside the conservative or liberal for the most part the chances of getting the vote is goes down, I mean, obviously considerably because of name recognition or maybe party recognition. So what you're doing 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it, Sean. And that is my motivation behind being a podcaster is I believe I, cause I started last year. So I believe I had three years to uh, do my education practice do the things that an MP would do, which is talk to a wide spectrum of people all over the place, uh, get to know them, communication skills, debating skills, the knowledge I'm learning from each of my guests, each one of my guests, I target particular areas of interest that I don't have yet. Um, so this is also an education. And I also want to demonstrate this real time as a transparent candidate, because this is the type of, of MP I plan to be, just as transparent have a camera in front of me, do a lot of stuff online, stream what I can. Uh, so I'm demonstrating as a candidate who I want to be as a actual MP. Uh, and in the same time, I'm looking for causes and looking for issues that are very important to me. And this is what brought me to the Alberta Coots situation for sure. Okay. Well, that um, that's, I find that fascinating, I guess. And, uh, uh Due to time constraints, you know, um, the next time Jason's on, folks, we're going to make sure I'm going to be like, listen, we need to secure a schedule away some time. But regardless, with the time we do have, I do want to talk about Coots. I was just saying um, to you that earlier this week I had on uh, Margaret Granny Mackay, and uh, mm -hmm. she was just, you know, her journey and, and certainly some of the things. She brought up the envelope, and, and she was sitting in the studio, and I, I, she could see it on my face. She's like, you got that deer in the headlights look like you mm -hmm. like you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so, anyways, I guess, lead me through the coots uh, from your angle um, or from your, your perspective, uh, and just walk us through it, because uh, I, I would love to hear more about it. And certainly then, um, you know, what is it, yesterday already, um, you mm -hmm. know, the envelope is going to be opened. It isn't open yet or so. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, Jason, give us, give us the, the backstory here. Well, what I'll do for you, Sean, is I'll kind of continue where I met Granny Mackay first. Sure. Uh, and then from that point on, because she's definitely been around a lot longer than I have. And she has a lot more of the uh, information and especially around the family side of things. But what happened is I put out a tweet because I was also covering the, the Public Order Emergency Commission and all the witnesses. So I declared to my audience, I'm going to try and get every witness, all 76 of them. That would include Trudeau himself. Fingers crossed. We'll get him one day. But I started with Tom Morazzo, Jeremy McKenzie, uh, Bridget Belton, and, and I started working from there. Uh, people that I was able to reach out to, get them on the show and do that. I was asking Twitter for some help. Hey, can you help me find some more of these people? And then Twitter found me, Chris Deering and Maggie Hope Braun and uh, Chris Barber and others. Um, and then I said, well, I'm also interested in the Coots situation. So that was the one tweet, basically the first tweet I sent out about Coots. I'm like, guys, I, I'm not finding anything about it. What's going on with this? So Twitter, can you help me out? I got connected to uh, Margaret Granny Mackay like right away within two hours, somebody connected us, got her on the phone, we chatted about it, and I had the deer in headlights look, she just didn't get to see it because we're on the phone, but I was like, wow, you mean no bail? What do you mean denied? They're still there? Like most Canadians, I have no idea that uh, they're still there. Uh, what are the, what's the, the, are the allegations? What's the evidence? What do you mean? So after talking to her for about an hour, it was clear to me, pulling from my paralegal side of things as well, how the process works, what we should be expecting because everybody gets bail and that wasn't the case here. So quickly we decided we're going to team up and for about six weeks we were, were doing uh, every single day, every morning, uh, Margaret was on, 
Uh, we brought in other guests like Danielle, which was a friend of Margaret and friend of Tony's. Um, brought him on, brought Nikki, another friend of Tony's. Uh, Betty Carber, to the mother of Chris Carber, came on. Uh, some friends of Chris Lysak came on. And then Jacqueline herself, which is a significant other of Jerry uh, Morin, came on. So Jacqueline Martin. <sighs> Sean, if you don't know that story, if, if Granny didn't bring it up, because there's so much to talk about. Uh, but uh, the Margaret, uh, not the Margaret, the Jacqueline story. It's uh, heartbreaking. What's happening to the men, some of us who follow what the government can do and how, how brutal they can get, we kind of get it because we've seen this around in other countries where they're kind of attacking people, falsely political prisoners. But the spouse of one of the men, she's being charged as well. She's got her own condition. She can't see him. She can't go to the court to be supportive to him. There's a whole bunch of things in this little understory that people don't know about. Uh, so I had her on and we talked about that. And then a bunch of experts as well. So gun experts, um, police. We have some ex-police officers on. My partner in crime here is Donald Best, who's a Toronto uh, investigator. I'm having Donald on here in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to really enjoy that interview. He's a very good, very good uh, person and very good at telling his his stories and his analysis. So you'll enjoy that a lot. Um, so with all of these people, we did a lot of work on trying to uncover the truth, uh, get the story out, and especially around who these men are, because they're really, really decent uh, Albertans. People didn't know, know that. So with the work from Margaret, uh, Granny, Mackay, and others, we definitely uh, got that story out. Then we went to court in July. So July 23rd, I think was the first, or 24th. Uh, and then the week to the 28th, uh, five days of court. And we're sitting down there watching every single minute of that. And that's when I also started to learn about this envelope. Uh, heard about it. We got some information prior to court because uh, we do have some wonderful uh, people who were there taking notes, including Danielle. Uh, and Granny herself was, was a very good uh, source for the information. Uh, but I learned more when I was there. And this is all about uh, uh, an intentional disclosure that the Crown provided to the defense by mistake. Um, they were playing some games. July 12th or June 12th was the court date. They're supposed to be ready for court. The Crown dumped a bunch of documents. This is a strategy they do sometimes. A uh, bunch of documents to the defense. Defense took a small break, reviewed some documents, noticed some holes in it made a request or an application for disclosure for certain documents around the scribe notes, which is somebody who had been recording what was being said. Um, so around their notes. Uh, and in, in the haste, the Crown accidentally, their words, uh, undisclo uh, unintended disclosure, provided what I understand to be this one page with four lines on it. So it's just a paragraph with four lines on it. But they don't know the content of it or, or what it means. But this particular document the defense recognized the value of it. It's not something that's normal. And it's definitely something that addresses what's called innocence at stake. So in, in the legal system, whether or not your innocence itself is at stake. And in these guys at 500, well, about that time, 549 days or so uh, of incarceration, their innocence was certainly at stake. And then there's a term, a legal term called crime fraud. And this is what the defense was arguing is a justification for piercing the veil of client solicitor privilege to take a look and have the court look at the contents of these four lines. Um, crime fraud is a very specific legal term. It doesn't mean you know, like 
you and I, we just go out and we commit a crime and there's some fraud involved. That's not what this term means. It's a very specific legal term. When a lawyer, somebody who's licensed to be a lawyer, provides legal advice for the commission of a crime. So it's a very specific thing. So you have to be a lawyer, it has to be legal advice, and it has to lead to a crime. If that's the case, that's crime fraud. Um, so this is the argument that the defense used and was, as you're going to find out, very successful um, on having um, the judge pierce client solicitor privilege and take a look at a document created by the Crown's office that they provided to the RCMP. We don't know much more about what happened and what it did, but we do know that these are very serious allegations from the defense. Um, they're not terms to be used lightly, and they did have to get the Law Society of Alberta involved in order to ensure that all lawyers, which would include the defense, the Crown, and the judge himself, who's a lawyer, so all lawyers are handling this properly. And there's a procedure, and this is exactly what they're going through right now, and this is what you're seeing unwind right before your eyes. One of the stages of this procedure was to make the decision to pierce that veil. So for three of the days in July, we watched the Crown and the defense provide their arguments to the judge on what he should do here. I found that the defense was very compelling because they had lots of case law that allowed the judge to go ahead and open this up. And the the Crown did not. It did not provide much case law other than uh, a letter from their own office, from a King's Counsel lawyer, which is a big deal. King's Counsel is a very specific type of lawyer, uh, but provided a, an opinion from him saying that this is privileged. That, that was the extent of the Crown's argument. Um, because this is case, there's new case law here, um, Sean, what, what's going on here is this never happened in Canada before where the Crown accidentally gave up information that rose to the level of crime fraud, um, which also created the conditions that the defense is referring to specifically Steve Johnston, which is a crown, uh, the lead crown, as a witness or, or a possible defendant in a future matter. And if it's defendant, that would have to be criminal charges. If it's witness, it could be part of the current matter before the court or civil. But being a defendant, they're applying possible criminal charges. At the end of that week, we had to accept the fact that the judge is going to take his time to make a decision on whether or not he's going to open the envelope and take a look at the contents. He identified correctly that this will be precedent setting. This is new case law for Canada. So he's going to take his time, review all the arguments, double check the case law that was provided. It was limited because nothing was directly applicable here and make a decision. We got to notice just the day before. So on what's we Thursday now? So on Tuesday we were told Wednesday there'll be a quick court matter to provide the decision on whether or not to open that envelope. We got that. And the decision was to open. We are thrilled. <laughs> we are thrilled because there's about three or four things that have to go correct uh, in order for the men to be released soon, as soon as possible. Uh, this is one of them. This is one of the decisions that we needed to go in this direction uh, in order to build a foundation for the next part of it, which is the contents of the envelope. Uh, is the defense correct on, on some of the words they were using about it? Is it potentially case ending? Is it potentially uh, reasons to put the crown himself um, in cuffs? 
Yeah, this is what they're really leaning towards. So uh, yesterday was a big decision. The decision was in, a, in our favor to open that envelope. Now, he hasn't opened the envelope yet. At this stage, the Crown's office has the ability to appeal. All decisions by a judge is appealable. They can make the decision to take it to Alberta Appeals Court. And if it fails there for them, they can take it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Don't think they're doing that. The indications from the Crown was they're not going to do that. They're not going to appeal it. Uh, they do have a couple days to decide if they're going to appeal it officially. But it looks like the decision is going to be not to, and it is to pass the envelope what, to what gives you the, the impression? Sorry, what gives you an impression they're not going to appeal it? They said so. The Crown's office said so. They said they were not going to appeal it. But they can still change that decision. They, they'd have to officially mark it down as not appealed and move forward. So they said in court they're not intending to appeal it. This led the judge to say, okay, you're going to give it to me. I'm back on the 18th of September for vacation. He already had vacation planned. Uh, and then from that point on, the court is looking for a date for everybody to show up in September. I understand it may have a two in front of it. So maybe the 26th or something like that might be the first available date. But all parties will be showing up uh, in September in order to discuss, well, watch, I guess, witness the judge open the envelope and see what he's going to do next. He has I indicated. I feel like I, maybe I'm wrong. Please, on this, Jason. But go on. I, the way you're you're explaining it to me, and I don't know if this is right. Is he like, okay? He's back September 18th. And he goes September 25th. Everybody, come on in. And I feel like everybody's going to be in an audience, and he's going to open up this envelope and read it and go. Or is he opening mm. it and closed doors, and then he comes out and gives his opinion? Or how does this work? How does this envelope opening work? So that the public, like, I, I just don't understand. No problem. So he will open it and read it, whether he does it before this particular date or after, because it's being sent to his office from the Crown. The Crown's the person that has the uh, envelope right now. They have to decide whether or not they're going to appeal. If they're not going to appeal, it goes straight to the judge. He may open it up on vacation. He may open it up when he comes back. We don't actually know when he'll open it up. The next court date, though, is the arguments on what should happen. So the Crown's going to be arguing along the lines of, I don't think this matters, it's benign, just ignore sure. it, move on. And the defense is going to say, let them out. <laughs> so they're going to be arguing those two sides of the spectrum. When they go and to then, court, will the, both sides know what's in the envelope then? Well, the defense knows because they were undisclosed. It was oh, disclosed right. to them. Uh, yep. Yeah, the men don't know. I've spoken to the men. They don't actually know. Uh, one um, student, law student knows, and that's all we know from, from the uh, but it, But it's report. obviously something very serious when correct. Crown Counsel, if I, if, I, if I understand this part of the story correct, had to be removed uh, from, I don't know, is it the courthouse or is it from representing? Um, you okay, went so over this... it a bit and I'm butchering it. No problem. There's confusion around that. Okay, so he was recused on consent, which means the Crown's office agreed to have him step aside for the arguments about the application that involves him. So the CC1 application, which is what created this envelope to begin with, and which is what the arguments for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of that week were for, that application, that application alone is what he was recused from. So he could not argue for the Crown's office the application that involves him. 
So there was a confusion on whether or not he was recused from the entire matter altogether. And that's what was understood up until we saw him on Friday because he was there in person on Friday. Uh, and that's when we learned uh, through some discussions with the defense uh, legal team that, no, no, he was recused just for the application arguments. The Crown brought someone else in for those arguments. He wasn't successful because we now get to open that envelope. But for that portion of the arguing, he was uh, not allowed to be there. He was recused on consent, which means they didn't even argue. They just said, okay, we'll bring someone else in other than Stephen. Um, whether or not he's part of the next proceeding, I'm not sure. So I don't know who we're going to see on the next court date, if Stephen himself, Steve will, will be there himself, or it'll be someone else from the Crown. I, I don't have those details. But I would presume because it's the arguments of the application that he would still be recused from it because that wouldn't make much sense why he can now be part of it all of a sudden but i don't actually have that information at this stage what we are looking forward to is the arguments from both sides on the very next court date on the contents of this envelope there is a publication ban on the contents of the envelope so even if it's talked about in court what is in there what those four lines say Right now, we wouldn't be able to report that to Canada because there is a publication ban on that portion of the evidence. Um, and and just so I understand that correctly, what you're saying is is you're sitting in the, the, the courtroom, you hear what is said in the four lines, and you can't go on Twitter and go, this is what it said. You can't correct. go on your podcast and say, this is what it said. Correct, unless I want to join them in. They're that serious. It would be contempt of court. It would be a charge. Could look at jail pretty quickly on that one. That would be correct. But what we can talk about is everything else. So we can talk about what the defense is talking about, what the Crown is talking about. We can do that. We just won't be able to reveal the actual contents of that envelope. Now, Sean, don't be disparaged. <laughs> We're going to challenge that. We're going to challenge you that publication. You saw the look on ban. my face, did you? Yeah, yeah because this is a, really it's a truth ban. <laughs> Uh, because everybody else uh, in the world can say whatever they want. They can say the four lines was just a shopping list, get milk, get bread, get onions, and come home, because uh, that would be miss or disinformation, depending on your intent behind it. But I couldn't say, no, <laughs> that does not what, that's not what it says, because it says A, B, C, D, E. Um, I would be in trouble. So it's a truth ban. It's a, it's, it's all that this judge has created in the public sphere is misinformation and disinformation about the contents of this envelope. So we are going to challenge that. There is an intent to have a verbal motion during this the next court date to have that particular publication ban overturned. I hope we're successful because at this stage now, when we are going to be able to bring this forward, the judge should be very clear on whether or not this information is um, public worthy and whether or not he should continue to protect the crown's office from from the public uh, knowing what, what they've actually been up to when it comes to uh media and like the coverage of coots uh in general you know i, I was i was just literally talking to a lawyer like yesterday mm -hmm. about this and he was like um don't get too far into that like they're charged with some serious crimes they you know they um impeded or i don't know the exact word a border crossing that's a federal crime and blah blah, blah. And i'm like um yeah i don't i don't know um the thing i always see is their conspiracy to murder that's the big one he's like oh and then we kind of had this like impasse of where he was like oh, i guess i don't know a whole lot about coots Correct. and i'm like <laughs> well yeah like i mean it's in my own province and i don't know a whole heck of a lot about it and i like to think that 
when there's a story going on, I seem to just, uh, you know, wade into it at least somewhat. And this mm -hmm. one up until this week, I'm like, I, I, I don't know a whole heck of a lot. You've been there. And I know there's been a couple different media groups there. But overall, you know, when you talk about a, a media ban, when the media isn't talking about it, um, I guess, like, do you think you'll have enough support to help push that through so media can talk about it? Because media should be like, I think, once I hear more about this envelope, I'm like, geez, what is, hmm, what is in the envelope mm -hmm. now? And that should be like front page news almost, you know, like let's get the you media bands so that we can talk the truth. And, you know, maybe it is just a, maybe it is just a grocery list and they go, oh, that was it. Or maybe it's something a little more serious and it should be headline news. Um, I guess I, I just have, I don't know, I'll, I'll split it into two. One is like, what has been the media support or, or been like while you've been there? And then two, without, I assume, a whole lot of media focus on it, do you think the media or the ban will get overturned? I know you're you're hopeful, um, but if there isn't a lot of people pushing on it, I could see how they're like, man, we're just going to leave it as banned. Anyways. Yeah, so let me clarify. There was never a media ban ever. So at the very, very beginning, there was a publication ban, and these are distinct terms for a reason, because uh, media ban would mean closed court. It's usually used for family court, uh, sensitive things. Sure. Um, there's real good precedence for when a media ban is put in place. A publication ban is typically already in place on personal information, doxing type of things. Um, almost by default, a publication ban is put in on personal information of everybody. Um, when there's a specific application for a publication ban, it's going to be targeting a certain document or collection of documents or certain information. In this case, very early, uh, you started to hear the narrative come out on February 14th. Uh, the RCMP came out, get a press conference talking about how it's a nationwide. I'm going to summarize it very, sure. very yeah, quickly yeah, yeah. here. But they're basically saying there's a nationwide coup, well-armed, well-prepared, going to take over the entire government. Uh, we found a group of them here in the Coots area, and we are all over them. That was the narrative February 14th. That's also the narrative that was put into what are called ITOs or information to obtain. These are legal documents that the police or the crown uh, will fill in to get a warrant. It's the application process for a warrant. And you can respect the fact that the court doesn't have time to hear evidence and challenge evidence and hear experts and all that kind of stuff when, it's, when they're dealing with warrants. Typically, it's something that they need relatively quickly. Um, there's no time to get the other side involved. You don't even let the other side know. Um, so there's really no chance to do the legal process of challenging even evidence. So these ITOs are well known to be documents that are full of their position, the crown or the police's position, what they believe. The word believe is in there a lot because it's not proven yet. And, and they're possibly looking for the evidence. This is why they believe they need to do something like storm someone's house and see if there's any weapons or guns inside. Um, these ITOs are really just documents. Again, they're not challenged by the other side in any way, shape, or form. So they can be quite uh, egregious when it comes to the information in there. For example, I don't know if this is in these particular documents because I don't have a copy of the documents, but I do know through testimony that at one point the RCMP were claiming that they had information that said that there was thousands of guns and thousands of ammunition. This is the term they use, thousands, not hundreds, thousands. Um, 
So for example, that could be something that might be in one of these ITOs. Uh, and we turned out, you know, that information turned out not to be true. Uh, <laughs> after a year and a half and stuff like that, there's 15 firearm that they've identified and that's it. Um, anyways, um, the point of what I'm trying to say here is these ITOs will contain fantastic or egregious information. You'll be really upset when you hear it. They, they paint the most dangerous picture they can. The defense recognized very quickly that this was going to hurt the jury pool if nothing but CBC, CTV, The Times, if they were pushing that narrative, the information in those ITOs, because it definitely caused the court to, well, you'll hear later, deny bail and things like that. Um, this information was, you would say, damaging if it's a, a false narrative and it's going out there. So the defense are the ones who said, look, those ITOs, that's not proven. <laughs> Those are just the crown suggesting or believing certain things. And we've spoken to our clients and we don't even think is even close to true. Um, so again, it's not proven. So the challenge on that was don't publish that. So the court agreed. The court actually agreed that the information here was egregious. It, was, it wasn't proven and we still have to have our time in court. Um, so they used it for decisions on things like bail. Um, but they didn't believe the, the public should have it. So that's what they put a publication ban on. From that moment on, all media stayed away, completely stayed away. No media was really covering this at all. There were a couple smaller organizations that went and did pieces of the story. Um, for example, they went and inter interviewed Mike Lysick, the father. Um, that story got twisted. Uh, he did not say any of the stuff that he claimed he said. Uh, so there's an example of when media didn't do good work and they were trying to paint um, Chris as an extremist, according to his father, but that never happened. Other than things like that, there was no true media going on. When we got involved, one of the first things we did was looked into what this media ban was because we don't want to be in trouble. And this is when we got our hands on some court documents and court decisions and some notes. And we learned what this actual thing was, is a publication ban on certain documents. Now, we don't have the documents, so I'm pretty clear because I can't refer something I don't know. Other organizations like Rebel does have a copy of those. Um, so Ezra has come out and he's told the world via tweet uh, that he does have a copy of the ITOs. He is aware of what's in them. He can't tell us what's in them because that would be a publication ban um, breach, but he certainly knows what's in them. So for all this time, the media stayed away from it. We looked into it, found out what the true publication ban was, and then started reporting on everything else. So we had the show, we had Margaret on, we had Danielle on, we had some family members on. Uh, we're really flushing out the information that we can talk about. On the court date, Monday, the 20th, I won't say it's the 24th, Ezra was there. Ezra was there live tweeting, which was great news for everybody because we were very happy to hear that the media is starting to pick it up. There were two rows in the court for accredited media. He was the only person there. There was nobody else in the, in the two rows for accredited media. Uh, so he was live tweeting from there. Now, he did live tweet the next two days. So the Monday and the Tuesday, he was live tweeting. He did not return Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Uh, I believe he was doing reporting from his offices or something like that after that. But I want to highlight to your, your, your viewers here because Ezra was live tweeting on Monday and Tuesday and was not arrested and is not in jail for a breach of anything, he demonstrated 
to all of us that the publication ban is in effect, but there is no media ban at all, or else he would have been shepherded out by the sheriffs on uh, one of those two days for breaking a media ban. There was no media ban. Um, this also means that Ezra and the rest of uh, our media could have been covering that event, uh, that, that matter, 550 days or so prior to that, and the entire time. They didn't. They got their reasons. Maybe they misunderstood the publication ban or whatever, uh, because it was a common misunderstanding all over North America, really. Um, so we, we let people know, like uh, Newsweek, we educated them on it, and then they ran a story. Um, and then since then, we've been letting people know that you can you can report on it. <laughs> you just can't touch the uh, ITOs. Now, I'm, recently... I'm, and uh, uh, before we go to recently, I appreciate you making the distinction between media and publication. I do appreciate that uh, distinction. I think that's actually really important. Carry on. Yeah, so recently, um, and this, you might like this one, Sean, uh, the, the, the Crown wanted to put a publication ban on this envelope, the contents of it, and then eventually the decision of what the judge is going to do with the contents of the envelope to once he opens it up and decides. So those two pieces of uh, information that we're expecting to come out, the Crown successfully argued for a publication ban on those two pieces. I did stand up and talk to the judge. I was invited to go ahead and present to the judge on Wednesday. Yeah, no, Thursday. It was Thursday. Um, whether or not I opposed the publication ban, because I did. <laughs> um, on Tuesday was the initial arguments from the Crown that the publication ban was being asked for. And he had to wait 48 hours because he has to provide notice that there's a publication ban request. So he had to wait till Thursday to actually finish his arguments. But he was saying, um, look, we're looking to put a publication ban in place here on these items. And he also testified and provided the court information, this is the Crown, that he has already spoken to mainstream media's representative, who was a representative on the publication ban that the defense was trying to get. Keep in mind, mainstream media did have a, a lawyer show up to challenge the publication ban by the defense. And they, they put up arguments, and they were making all of these arguments that the public needs to know everything. Um, fortunately, or fortunately, the defense was successful on that, and that piece of information was put under a ban. The same uh, lawyer who represented mainstream media uh, sided with the Crown on this one and said, we do support a publication ban on these items, and we're not challenging them. So the media itself, mainstream media, did not challenge the Crown's publication ban. That was an open court. And then on Tuesday, he said, but I don't re represent all of them. I just represent the ones that filed before to challenge the defense's publication ban. And the, the funny part here is the judge reminded the Crown about the Crown's arguments against the publication ban from the defense previously, which was, don't you want the public to know? Why are you here now being the ones asking for a publication ban? <laughs> so it was kind of, you had, they had to argue both sides of that coin at some point here. Uh, but the damning thing, I think, was media did not oppose it. The mainstream media that was opposing it prior did not oppose this one. So they're basically in lockstep here with the government's wishes, or at least the Crown's well, office didn't wishes. Well, didn't you know, Jason, they're funded by the government? <laughs> it's like we paid I, for the lawyer. This. We paid for the lawyer to go argue on why we shouldn't know things. Correct, correct. Um, and I was disappointed to hear that because I would have thought they would take the position that no publication bans, so they would challenge all of them. But no, they supported the Crown's publication ban. 
During his arguments, he did say, I don't represent all media and I don't represent podcasters or independent media. That's when I said, oh, that's me. He's talking about me. Um, so I went and spoke to the defense and said, I would like to challenge and I would like to represent independent media. They allowed that. Um, so the court did allow me to do that on Thursday. So I did go up there, speak to the judge. It was quite the honor to represent media in this kind of matter. And unfortunately, the judge did side with the Crown's desire. And his argument and his reasoning was around, he didn't want the justice system to fall apart because everybody's worried about how the prosecution's office might be involved in something very serious. I, I'm troubled by that, that decision still. I don't think it was the right decision. Because all he's allowed is misinformation to be out there. We can't correct the information at all. So anybody can say it's just a shopping list. It's just a grocery list. They can yeah. say whatever at they the want the, about at it. At the end of the day, the truth needs to have its day. Correct. And if that, if that is damning on uh, part of the government, so be it. I mean, at the end of the day, let's let's talk about it instead of all these, you know, what was, anyways, I get it. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that completely, and that's going to be my argument if we do get another chance to address the publication ban. Because uh, the judge himself might just toss uh, toss away the publication ban, now that he knows what's in there. Yeah, uh, for sure. But that could be another step that we still have to do to get that information out. But the good news is the decision yesterday. So the decision yesterday was to, yeah, he's going to open the envelope. Um it could have been really bad yesterday. He could have decided not to. And I think if he did that, uh, I think that's when the public really would have pushed back hard. Um, it might have been leaked. We might have found out what was in there through other means. Uh, I don't think the public would have been happy if he said, no, I'm not opening it. I, I think it had to open it, which is good news. Um, so that's now been set. The, the wheels are in motion to get that envelope to the judge, opened up and then arguments on what should happen next will start. Uh, so I'm very excited about what may come at the end of uh, September, uh, making arrangements to be there in person to cover it all completely, uh, because this could be the day that the men walk out, well, then, or at least we'll, they know when we'll, they could. What we'll do, Jason, is we'll we'll um, we'll earmark that so that uh, we can get back, uh, hopefully have you back on this side, because I'd love to you know, um, um, hear from somebody there firsthand on what the heck is going on, you know, and certainly my now, pleasure, that, now, now that we're starting to pay attention to it on this side, uh, you know, and hearing more about it, it's like, well, as, as much as we can put a spotlight on it to help everybody there and to, mm -hmm. to finally get to some answers. I think that's what everybody's kind of, you know, uh, one of the things I enjoyed about Granny McKay, Mackay, Mackay, yeah. They're finally slept. I've been saying McKay and she was laughing at me anyways, Granny Mackay. Um, is, She'll answer to both. It's true. Uh, yep. Is like innocent, guilty. At the end of the day, it just needs to have its day. And 555 days when she was talking to me of no bail, mm -hmm. no nothing, you're like, what is going on, right? Like, so, um, yeah, I'll earmark that in, in, the, in the calendar uh, so that we, we touch base and have you back on to give us an update. And uh, appreciate you hopping on today to do this. And just look forward to, uh, you know, paying attention to some of your work in the future. And finally, got you on this side, and and happy happy to meet a fellow Albertan that's uh, trying to shed some light on some on some things. So thanks again for for hopping on, Jason. Thanks for having me, Sean. It was my pleasure, and I enjoyed myself. Thank you very much.